0: GM friends and welcome to the future of gaming you are listening to our weekly blockchain gaming rollup. we are recording this on the first of July Friday the first of July we've got Philip Collins Devin Becker and myself Nicola Vreke or Nico um today in this weekly rollup, we're talking about Axie and its updates the Solana phone which we shortly touched upon last week we've got the crypto winter is here and its ramifications or maybe even um yeah and and all the companies that are going best and then we're going to touch upon soba raise um and then yeah we're going to talk about whatever comes up first of all so last week was NFT NYC. i actually in the meantime did another um conference crypto conference and so i've learned that there's three types of web three conferences there is the Let's start with the good parts, right? Or the good type. So there is developer conferences. Examples are um, DevConnect. Like there was one in Amsterdam a few months ago. Um, You have like ETH Denver, I believe is also a good one. Um, I'm going to ETH CC in like two weeks. Um, And so these are like where builders come together and talk about like building, right? These are the good ones. Then you have NFT events, like NFT NYC, which are like absolute shill town, right? Everyone's trying to get, get rid of their bags, except in, uh, especially in this market environment, and there's no constructive conversations going on. And then the third type, which I went to um, this week, is a corporate Web3 event. I went to the Web3 summit in London, and it was a bunch of suits who need to explain to their bosses that they're doing something with Web3, and that they went to a conference to prove it. Um, and then they're looking like what they can do with it. And it was, it was weird, man. It's like I was sitting there in my, in my, my t-shirt and my jeans. And then you had all these people in the suits. Um, so yeah, these are the three types. Um, if you ever have the choice in going to an event, go to the first, go to a, a biller event. Cause that, that's where the, you know, the 22 year old geniuses walk around. Uh, and these are the guys that you want to you want to talk to. Yeah. Definitely right. Avoiding that third one. Yeah. Yeah. Although I mean I, I was even more annoyed by NFT NYC, to be fair. Just like it, just it's just terrible it, it, reputation. It's it's all about like speculation and money and it's like oh my NFT collection is going to the moon and that was. What, ugh, what even about Doctor
1: Disrespect was there?
0: Dude, I I have nothing bad to say about Doctor Disrespect. He's gonna kick my ass if I do so. Uh, don't stay away him. from that one. I don't know. It <laughs> exactly. sounds like
2: the it sounds like the one with the suits might actually be the best way to pump your bags. Just unload it. No one knows the difference. It's, it's true. It's true, but I, it's true. Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, in the
0: long term, so I'm not, I'm not looking looking to get rid of my bags, you know. I'm looking to get more people interested in, in, in the bags in general, all the bags, everyone's bags. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I have a different background. I'm in Spain right now, supposedly taking a holiday, but um, I, I woke up early to have a chat with these two gentlemen and talk about what happened this week. So let's, let's get into it. Um, what do we talk about first? Axie, Devin, you want to take this one?
1: Yeah, they're, uh, they're trying to keep things interesting, I suppose, given the kind of quiet nature of the game at the moment, just because kind of everyone's already moved on to some extent. with uh, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people beta testing, or alpha testing, I guess, right now, uh, Origin. So in the meantime, they're shutting off uh, Classic, uh, which basically means kind of the death for now of SLP, since there's nothing you can do with it. Um, I, I mean, I imagine you could still breed, but you're not going to be producing it, so I doubt people are going to be spending it to breed and buying more unless they're, like, really trying to get their stuff for Origin. Uh, then also Origin is entering phase two, which it means they're actually going to have uh, a leaderboard for AXS prizes at the end on top of a bunch of, like, tweaks uh, that they're made, like, balance changes, introducing new keywords, stuff like that. So they're really trying to, like, ramp it up, uh, and that's going to go till the 28th of this month. So definitely no SLP, really, to be used till at least uh, August. Um, and then uh, lastly, they're also starting land staking now. And so that should be a pretty interesting one because that was like a fairly controversial in terms of like earning and how that works. And, uh, and right now it's going to be like passive staking. But then like eventually there'll be like active stuff you have to do. Um, so, so we'll see how all that goes. But they, they're kind of dropped all that basically today uh, kind of all at once for the most part.
0: Okay, let's go tr- through uh, those First, you say SLP is dead because there's no source of SLP, right? So you can only get right. SLP by playing the original Axie game, but there's still a sink of SLP. Doesn't that mean? Isn't that a good thing? Because there's no supply and there's only demand.
1: Right, but the only demand is for breeding, right? Because they didn't introduce any other sink into the games uh, yet. For uh, they will for Origin, but because there's no other sink for SLP, like there's no demand for it, right? I mean, unless people are trying to like buy in long-term hold or. Uh, what not, it's mostly still going to be cell pressure, people just kind of like piecing out because there's nothing for them to do at all. Uh, now that all the kind of the seasons of, of Axie Classic are over. And so, I okay. mean, I imagine there'll be variation in that, but just what demand is there for SLP? And the thing is, you know, we know uh, the, this season of, of phase two at least runs till the 28th, but there's no guarantee that come August, SLP starts kicking in in Origin either. So, like, there's a possibility that. Things get delayed all the way until like September or longer. And I don't think anyone wants to be sitting on SLP during a crypto winter. So I got to imagine people are going to just unload and move on to something else right now. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, they could try and bring it back. But the, 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 the thing is now that it's, all the pressure is on AXS, right, as their as their loan token. And they're going to be providing AXS as a leaderboard reward at the end of the season as well as providing AXS now going forward for land staking. So AXS is going to increase in supply. And realistically, if no one's using it for breeding, there's no sink. So I imagine AXS value goes down even more because it's just, there's, what's the demand for it, right? Unless you're trying to, to buy something with AXS, because I can't imagine anyone's going to breed. So this is, this is a really weird spot for Sky mm. Mavis to be in, in general. Interesting. Um... And so, if you have
0: land, you can stake it, and then you will receive AXS as well.
1: Right, yeah. Here, I have, I have some numbers if, if you want to kind of get an idea of, like, ballpark what staking looks like daily, right? So, uh, you're going to be earning about either uh, at the lowest level land 0.008, or I'm sorry, 0.08 uh, AXS, or uh, all the way up to 32.7. Was per, that?
0: Per, per day, per month, per day, per, per day. Sorry, per year. I thought I said that. I yeah, and
1: so that right now at current value of fourteen dollars for AXS, that that's looking like a dollar twelve a day at the lowest level, or up to uh, four hundred fifty nine dollars a day. That's of course maintaining, you know, stable AXS value, which is not likely to happen. So that's likely to go down. And actual floor prices for those lands for that low level one right now on the market, thirteen seventy eight for the lowest level and uh, $371,000 for the highest level. Uh, so can't imagine those moving very quickly on the market, especially if AXS starts going down. Wait, when you say 1378, is that $13? $1,378.
0: Okay, it's important, right? Because I was like, that's like an ROI of 12 days. Which... No, no,
1: sorry, yeah, I was. I guess I was implying a decimal point there that wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, thanks.
0: <laughs> All right, um, okay. But it's still so if I calculate things correctly, let's say one dollar per day, um at current AXS prices, which I mean that that's that's <laughs> that's a, a very unsafe thing to assume then we would get back our it's like a three year or four year ROI on the on the cheapest land, right?
1: Yeah, I mean at least I think it's I think yeah, at least four to five, I think, at that point if it okay. maintained its stable yeah. value of AXS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Um yeah. Wouldn't want to be an an,
2: an Axie Xs investor now, um, sorry, yeah. Phil. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I mean, one of the things that that's really interesting yeah. about Axie, especially going into the cycle, is the fact that they're almost a full cycle ahead of everyone else. Where we've kind of we're kind of still part of the the white paper phase of, of Web3 gaming, and they've lived it. They've faced the challenges, and they are kind of the trailblazers. And um, so they're they're kind of creating the rules and creating the future as they go, and at the end of the day, with a lot of this stuff, especially now that they are in this almost recreation mode of changing the gameplay, changing the dynamics of how the token ecosystem works, they're really acting as a central bank of sorts. And I do think that'll be a living process that's going to continue changing over time. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to to you know give a scorecard right now on a process that's kind of new and unproven. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they handle it. You know, I think as Nico alluded to, we're we're investors in Sky Mavis, so I won't go too deep on this topic. But I think that you know, from the from the investor side, we've been in that that company for a little over a year, and we we have kind of seen them live the first full cycle. And I won't be surprised to see a lot of these tokenized play to earn economies be in a similar situation if uh, kind of V one of the game isn't a full fledged experience that can last multiple years. And you know, I think when it comes to Axie you know even the team acknowledges that's not really what v1 of axie was from a from a trading card game perspective so we'll we'll see how it plays out but that central bank function is something i don't envy in any part of the world um tokenized or not right now
1: if you look at the us right now i wouldn't want to be a central bank <laughs> uh, given the this the the quagmire the federal reserves in it's not exactly an envious position to be in you may print money but you you're all of a sudden now on the, on the hook for a lot of the side effects of that
0: yeah Totally. And this brings me back. So in the beginning of this year of 2022, I made the prediction that if you would ask me which game would be most successful by the end of the year, um, my answer was going to be like in high, the highest likelihood was for me, um, Axie Infinity, because in my head, um, they had millions of people who owned um, Axies. And, and so they had like this sunk cost fallacy problem where they owned axes and they maybe didn't really enjoy the game. And they initially started playing for SLP, um, you know, as a way to make money. Uh, but now those rewards have gone down, but they still own the axes. And so if Axie Infinity or like more Ronin, Ronin more broadly comes up with some really, really cool games with axes, which I can totally like envision, um, they actually immediately have a very solid user base that can start playing. And...
1: lost Nico there I, I don't know if I'd necessarily call it a, a solid user base in the sense that like I imagine a good chunk of them have left uh, so it might not be super solid just because like who who's still playing at this point is it like just scholars that are hoping to make it like to keep their skill level up in the in the new one and make it work for them when it comes around again is it like bag holders uh, just, just hoping to like kind of stay, stay the course is it guilds that are just like, well, we have inventory, so we might as well like keep it going. But it's like now that you can't use SLP with it, um, there's even very little value in in holding onto axes. Um, so you've got even like you know organizations like Breeder that are going to have to be fully diversified into what they're breeding. Obviously, like they were from the get-go, right? They weren't necessarily putting all their uh, stuff into Axie, but the the slow progress of Sky Mavis, I think, has been a big problem for them in terms of how slowly they actually adapt to things like they could have they could have adapted uh, classic into some sort of like add another sink add some sustainable stuff and then work on origin but like leave it running like leave the the car idling so that way it's ready to go as soon as you're like ready to move people over Uh, but they didn't and I I don't know that you can bring everyone back even if it's like a really really fun game
0: yeah I think I
2: don't yeah, you're back now, Nico. I think, yeah, okay, okay. I think the way I view that on the Ronin side is that I think Ronin's success now that Axie has had its own success can be almost independent of the initial IP that Axie was for, for Sky Mavis, where what Sky Mavis did do is get millions of users onto onto the Ronin ecosystem. And, and in the current environment, that's uh, that's about as about as big as you can get in blockchain gaming for the total addressable market of players today. And so I think that you know, it's not the easiest thing to get in or out of that. There's there's bridging involved, and so once you're in, yeah, I feel just like open that back up. I feel like people are people are kind of you know you're in the you're in the system, and and so I'm curious to see what the reactivation looks like on Ronin for players that might be tired of Axie and don't want to play Axie, but you know if if that user base compels other great game devs to build within Ronin, is that an easy way to turn back on that you know several million wallets that are that are already there?
1: now the problem is you compare it to other blockchains right that have big funds that are trying to do things with their blockchain polygon studios is doing tons right they're constantly helping studios get get going get started you look at like Solanas funding tons of stuff avalanche is funding tons of tons of stuff immutables funding tons of stuff they're all really like bringing in lots of diversity to the blockchain really supporting developers trying to find creative ways to entice them over and what's Rona doing throwing out a, a half baked uh creator program like it's I, I, I want to be optimistic about Sky Mavis and, and Axie and Ronin, but they haven't done anything since the crash that's really made me go, you know what? Yeah, they got this. Uh, th- that value of that blockchain is just a long play. Um, like, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Ronin, as as you said, captures a ton of value and everyone, like, builds cool stuff on it. But the fact that they didn't really open it up for building, really just, I feel like they kind of shot themselves in the other foot. And this point, they they can't even limp.
0: Is um, why do you think they're now allowing staking of land and you know letting people earn excess from that to appease I land remember, holders? Exactly right. So basically, in my view, they sold the land and they were like, "Oh, there's going to be land play gameplay by the end of the year." Right. That's like what I seem to have heard last last year, even. And now it's like, "Oh, oh shit! This shit is going to take a bit longer." Um, and so, okay, we have the, uh, these, like people that invested millions into these, uh, pieces of land and we need to give them something to do. So we're going to let them stake it, which is a recurring theme in blockchain games. It's like, okay, we sell NFTs and there's going to be utility, right? We're building a game. It's going to be amazing. And, oh shit, this, this, this game building is, 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 tougher than I expected actually. Um, so what do we do? There's these people, they bought these NFTs or these tokens and there's nothing to do. You know what? Let's let, let let's make him stake it, and then we give them some rewards. Uh, and I feel like this is the um, this is a, a recurring theme in blockchain games. And so my like I, I initially I thought that was that was fine. You know, it's it's like giving a financial utility to these assets, um, and it's like okay, if if you need to bridge a certain period, you can do it that way. But the problem that I realize now is that by doing that, you're turning these assets. You're like basically financializing the assets, and I think that becomes problematic for the kind of people that then own the assets that you you get right if, if you want to have players that want to own the assets to play the game which is what you would want if you want to ever have a sustainable game um, then you can't allow them to stake it because they're not there for that and then in the end the only people that own your stuff are going to be people that do it for the return on investment um, and at At that point, once you actually have something play, these people are like, yeah, I don't even like this game. I don't want this. And they're going to either sell it or they're going to use it to extract the maximum amount of value because that's literally what, why they own these assets. Um, And so, I mean, one of my frustrations in the space right now, when I, we, we touched upon this last week, um, is that the, from all the, the players in the space, most of them are either earners or speculators. And by allowing people to stake shit, you are, you know, basically turning all of your players into these, or you know, having a natural selection for that that type of player, which is something you want to avoid. And so, um, I'm going to make a case right here, but, but I want to write it down as well that you know, staking in the inflationary sense um, is. I think you know strictly detrimental if there's n- zero gameplay relation and it's purely financial. I think it's actually like a bad thing for the long-term health of your game, even if you on the short term have to disappoint holders, uh, because you know building a game around the assets takes a bit longer.
1: Well, getting disagreement for me. That's I totally agree. I think staking is one of those things that came from DeFi and maybe should have stayed there.
0: hmm Agree. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. We touched upon. Solana for a second there. I want to talk about Sol- the Solana phone? What's new there, Devin?
1: It's, I mean, it's always interesting seeing these attempts at making specialized phones, right? It just makes me think of like the N-Gage back in the day, right? Stuff like that. And this isn't the first attempt at a blockchain phone. What's interesting about this one, I think though, is that Solana is trying to build like a stack specifically for solana in the phone right to make it easy and at least the language the programming language that they use rust i think is something that's not terribly inappropriate for like mobile development because it's an efficient and relatively like safe language and i think that might be probably one of its stronger suits um in bringing you know some of those hardcore developers over but at the same time if it if it's not like expansive to other blockchains i don't i don't know how much utility that will have because right now like, most of Solana is stepping right now in terms of, like, games, right? Now, maybe people use it for crypto or other non-game stuff. But until, like, games are, really like, really cracking on Solana. And even then, I don't know if that's, like, going to really make a huge difference. It, it sounds like it's Android-based. Uh, but the question is, like, are they looking to bypass the App Store? And is that the big play? Like, that's the interesting angle to me is whether or not they can make uh, Web3 native games that bypass the whole App Store thing without just... Uh, inviting more scams, essentially.
0: Yeah. Does it come with step and shoes? Are you buying a phone? Hopefully. Paying a bit extra and you get a free pair of shoes with it.
1: They'll be they'll be pretty worn, I imagine, by the time you get them. It's true. Yeah. I yeah. I I feel like with these kind of things,
2: we just haven't seen recently the need for specialization of phones. Um to, to Devin's first point. I'm just curious to see what the actual additional value is from a Solana integration on, on a phone. You know, you you have all of these various different software integrations that you can have on your your iPhone or Android, and so the incremental benefit I think is going to have to be pretty significant. Um, and you're already catering to a, a smaller phone market through a smaller group of people that are going to. A, B, into cryptocurrency, and B, care enough <laughs> to buy a phone around it. And so I'm just kind of curious what the market for that phone looks like. And I'm really interested to see what the value is. Because if they're going to go through the effort and the pain of distributing a phone, I have to imagine there's something there. But like I can't imagine for myself personally what would drive me to go get a Solana phone if it came out today or tomorrow.
1: Especially today or tomorrow. Like yeah. The market is not... <laughs> ideal for this launch I think at this point yeah like the only yeah. thing
2: I can think of is that it becomes one of the mass adoption cases of hardware wallets where most people don't want to go through the extra hoops of managing a hardware wallet holding on to it I'd almost it, rather let you make
1: the phone
2: then yeah no I mean and that that's that's an interesting point but like I do wonder if that's the <laughs> the end goal here is it becomes your your hardware storage of your digital assets but from what i was reading on this i i haven't really seen much of that being part of the vision for it but who knows maybe it will be um maybe this thing will surprise us and come out with something crazy that is transformational i just like can't think I, of anything
1: that uh, would move the needle for me i'd mm. make a case against it being a hardware wallet though given given the nightmare that i've been through in two-factor authentication after uh losing my phone at gdc uh you do not want a phone that contains all of your money too, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, we know it's not really containing your money, but at the end of the day, if it's containing your only access to that money, uh, it just the two factor alone has already been a nightmare to try and fix across all these different exchanges and other things. And like having to redo KYCs. And uh, I would, I wouldn't want to put that on a phone just because like a hardware wallet's one thing you treat it very differently. And in terms of your security of it and stuff like that, than you would a phone that you're just like, You know farting around on or whatever you do with your phone yeah and i mean the notion Mm
2: -hmm. of walking around with your hardware wallet in your pocket also just sounds insane like it should really be in a safe somewhere um so there would need to be some some additional layers to that because it does sound a little ridiculous to to be walking around with your crypto portfolio uh closely accessible in your pocket
0: Talk about wallet software, um, you know, I've been having a few conversations about where the wallet space is going and how we're gonna make sure that everyone can actually use wallets because you you guys are absolutely right. If you have one contact point or like one space where you hold your keys to all of your net worth, um, it's kind of dangerous, right? So it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so, you know, I'm hearing more and more about like distributed keys or like uh, smart contract bullets where, you know, you hold maybe one key or two keys, and then um, you have a trusted third party that holds one key as well. And then, you know, depending on the, the amount of funds you want to transfer, the the amount of value you want to you wanna interact with, you need, you know, either like two-factor two authentication, but if it's a small amount, only one. And so, um, you know, I, I can see, you know, that work where it's, it's, built into Solana phones. So basically, you open your Solana phone, you have a wallet there, probably, I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume it's going to be more than only Solana-based tokens, right? It's going to be like, um, oh, you can get Bitcoin and, and ETH there, at least I hope so. And then, um, you know, it, it's it's like integrated third-party um, or an integrated smart, con- uh, smart contract wallet, which means that, you know, it's like if you lose your phone, you're still fine. You still like, you can do 2FA like email and I guess then phone number when you get a new one um, and then, you know, I don't know somewhere it, you can get your keys back and, and your shit back. Um, that's what I assume. Um, that would make sense. Right.
1: So, but you know, who kind of, I guess, pioneered that in a way though, is like Facebook already did that with the whole like friends being able to help get you get back into your account. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember that whole thing that they tried to do. So like they already kind of tried that. I don't know if that's even still a thing, but that was an interesting model of like a, an easier approach to doing that. Cause like right now, imagine the average person trying to manage a multi-sig wallet key system. Uh, it's just that's not very easy for an average person to do uh in that sort of situation like imagine having to explain to your grandma can you hold this private key for me here i'm going to write down the seed phrase can you put it in your cookie jar and and keep it safe like it's Mm -hmm. it's not ideal for the average person either but i i do think you're right that like we need to start looking at other factors because even like phone number is not a secure method of like recovering your stuff like honestly let's say i had the uh when i lost my my phone right um and I was able to recover some stuff via SMS messages, if my phone wasn't completely locked and not displaying text messages, it could be displaying those text messages on my lock screen and then whoever has my phone can then get it. It's not it. And and cloning of SMS numbers coming from cybersecurity, I can tell you it's like 10 bucks to clone someone's uh, SMS number. It's not a difficult thing to steal stuff that way. Email's not necessarily terribly more secure. We don't really have good security across the board period, for anything. And as we move into digital finance, that's going to be a real thorny problem if people's, what becomes the equivalent of fiat for people starts to become like locked to that stuff. It's it's going to be like a lot more worrisome than a Solana phone. I'll put it that way.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's also just adding to the problem of too many wallets coming out. And there's so many people building for wallets. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because we're still at this stage where there's genuine product differentiation amongst a lot of the the startups that are coming in coming out to market or in the process of building their wallet solution. But at the end of the day, as a consumer, I don't want 20 wallets. I'm, I'm okay with having a few. You know, people have a few bank accounts. People have their their assets distributed in you know the non the non blockchain world. But in this, there's so many wallets coming out and. I don't know how they're gonna get weeded out i mean i guess maybe the best products will win over time but i think this is some this assumption that different use cases can have different wallets for different users and i just don't see individuals
1: holding you know 10 plus different wallets for all these different functions i think individuals are just gonna use custodial wallets like yeah. that's what it's gonna come down to that use like social logins like google uh you know that are that have their own security features like that's what people are gonna do like i literally actually just yesterday i think it was i had to walk my brother through uh setting up polygon in metamask on his phone because like i wanted to send him some usdc to pay him back for a dinner we had right like and so he didn't know how to do any of that like i literally had to go into metamask take screenshots of of how to like actually like set it up how to uh add the polygon network because it's not easy on metamask mobile how to add uh then usdc coin with all like the different addresses and all that and then just to send him like a test one one USDC and it, it got to the point where he never even responded to whether or not he got that. Like, I don't know if he ever even did it. And it was like, seriously so like 10 screenshots that's of got, things like You circled. got rugged. You got rugged. Right. $1. right. <laughs> that one, that one, you No, if anything, he got rugged, it was a lot more than one USDC for that dinner. But, uh, hmm. but, but that's what I mean. Like it's, it's very difficult And like MetaMask mobile, for example, being a very different setup than MetaMask desktop your browser extension just invites problems. And I think at the end of the day, people are going to go to custodial stuff. And games are going to as well. Like, that's kind of the direction we're going. Is like games are going to, and they'll probably even be like ones that are chain specific. Like, let's say, Polygon just has here's your custodial wallet for people that don't want to deal with MetaMask and all this other stuff. And then, like, games can use that as well for people that don't want to have to set up a wallet. I think Sequence uh, from Horizon that does Skyweaver is a pretty interesting demonstration as well that, that mm-hmm. works on Polygon uh, as a demonstration. And I don't know if that'll get traction because Skyweaver doesn't seem to want to spend the money on marketing yet. To, to get that out there hopefully they'll, they'll kind of uh man up at some point and start pushing that product that's been like polished for like a year uh but uh, maybe that'll be a good thing and and wallets is definitely going to be a sticking point for games as well so like you know bringing it back to the game topic i do think like that's going to be a big deal is like we constantly talk about how do we onboard people and and we all kind of know as we're looking at games like custodial is going to be kind of the the stepping stone there
2: Hmm. how
0: do you guys think the wallets space will play out because there's no inherent revenue model around wallets like having a wallet or owning you're not going to sell wallets because there's a bunch of free options out there Um, and so basically the only way wallets make money right now is to provide swaps so i think metamask makes makes a ton of money because in metamask you can actually exchange ETH for you know matic or like some other token um they take a small margin on that so that seems to be the current Revenue model, um, but also switching costs are are pretty tiny, because uh, you can just export and import your keys in another one. Obviously, it's not easy to do that, um, but it's easier, I guess, than you know, moving from whatever social network or, or like email provider you're currently using to a new one. Um, and so, I'm just wondering, like, how how does it play this play out? Do you have like a handful um, in 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 ten years, or, or do we still have like thirty with application specific ones? Yeah, I
1: wonder if it'll it be, becomes banks Coinbase.
2: Yeah, I wonder if it'll be similar to, to credit cards as well, where you know they're taking transaction fees and user acquisition costs are probably gonna be really high to start. And then there's gonna be all of these embedded reward systems that encourage you for being loyal wallet users and mm-hmm. making sure you're maximizing transactions with a given wallet because eventually, you know, just like we're seeing with all these infrastructure layers like a polygon or an immutable, they have all these massive ecosystem funds because everyone's in a massive land grab for developers. And you throw money at the problem. It might be the same for wallets on the consumer level, where you basically throw money at the people, and then once they're there, you just find retention systems, rewards, and loyalty programs for those users to keep them transacting with your wallet. Um, but I, I think that will be a tough business. Um, and yeah. you know, at scale, like at scale, there will be winners, but I think that'll be a uh, that'll be a very expensive cool. UA campaign.
1: I have a, I have a relevant anecdote from today too, so I'm just you know bringing my whole life into this here, but uh, I think I think it's very relevant to what is a possible thing kind of along the lines of what you're talking about and this idea of like what what banks were to gold and money and checks and stuff like that, and then you're talking about going to the credit cards. Um, I'm seeing fiat on ramps as a huge opportunity because you look at for example. Uh, Whenever people are ta- like providing instructions on how to like buy their crypto for their game or whatever, they're all like pointing towards Coinbase or they're pointing towards an on-ramp, right? Because it's the idea of converting. That's the big that's the big hurdle. It's not converting between token swaps and stuff like that, because usually that's not actually that difficult. It's the fiat on-ramp. So like for example, I went to do uh, to buy some DEC in Splinterlands today, right? Because like I'm like, hey, it's like half the soft peg price. Now's a good time because. I can buy Splintered Packs at half the price essentially because they were pegged at a fixed DEC amount. And so I saw today, I was like, "Oh, actually, they have their on-ramp on now. Like they they finally set up their on-ramp." And unfortunately, it wasn't MoonPay and it wasn't Ramp, two I've already used because it was a new one. I haven't used Transac. I had to go through a KYC nightmare. And needless to say, after like four attempts uh, at trying to get it working, I am now dealing with customer support over email. And this is not the first time this happened with one of these on ramp systems. And so I think that sort of on ramp thing, especially the KYC problem, that starts to really become the sticking point. If you can have, like, as, as Philip's talking about, like UA and like onboarding people and like capturing them into one space, being able to make it so that you're not dealing with KYC across all these multiple ones or having to deal with like whatever is provider for a particular game, like just having one on ramp that you could always use to get in and get whatever crypto you need to that that i think is is a huge value capture and and one that that games would be happy to support because they don't really care what on ramp it is for the most part and that's why we have so many competing right now is because they're just like oh whichever one will partner with me and make it easy and set up the gateway for me they'll do that like i remember when like paypal was trying to get transact uh, traction in the early days right it feels like that where they're trying to get mm-hmm. people doing e-commerce And so we're in a similar position now. So I think whoever kind of like in Coinbase so far is kind of a little bit ahead because they found that kind of semi-bank, like the the custodial wallet plus also the fiat transaction sort of thing. Uh, But I I think the people that don't want banks might want to go for more of the on-ramp kind of thing. And a lot of this has to do with the regulatory issues too, right? Where like people are using these on-ramps for their games because they don't want to deal with the regulatory stuff. So whoever kind of smooths all that out and manages to get across a, a number of popular games, they kind of win that game.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: let's see how this plays out and in the meantime crypto winter is here right and i want to talk about these implications and what's happening in the markets this is more DeFi related um but we've seen celsius network in trouble we've seen you know bridges getting hacked which is not necessarily related to these this bear market um but phil you want to you know give some context about BlockFi and 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 celsius and and these kind of you know neo crypto banks platforms
2: yeah, for sure. So the the spawn of this is really news today coming out that FTX is closing in on their deal to buy BlockFi for twenty five million dollars. Um, you know, pretty much a pure buyout. For for context, that uh, is about a ninety nine percent discount to the last valuation of four point eight billion dollars, I believe, in wow. private venture rounds. Um, and yeah, you know, along with Celsius, it seems like there's. Just a lot of groups that have gotten really aggressive, and when the market turns south, aggression kind of showed. Um, it's like the, uh, the the good quote about "It's only when the tide goes out that you see who is swimming naked," and I think that's that's what we're starting to see right now. And mm-hmm. I, I do think it, it is an can interesting. You can you maybe touch
0: upon how they worked, and and what the problem was, and, and like like what they did wrong essentially.
2: I think a lot of these groups were honestly just over levered. Um, and i think they were fundamentally designed for the for a bull market and assuming that the tide never was going to go out and once it did i mean they just got into balance sheet issues and just fundamentally weren't able to continue operating at the 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 pace that they previously were. I know, for example, with BlockFi, FTX had just provided a $250 million emergency line of credit for BlockFi to, for them to continue their, their normal course of operations. And I think that's happened with a lot of these groups. I think the Celsius situation wasn't too dissimilar for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it eventually it just becomes balance sheet issues that make normal course of operations difficult. Um, just to hop in there, the way they work is they ask
0: people- like you can deposit crypto in onto our platform and we'll give you like a return like um a yield right yeah and so seven percent
2: on I, your bitcoin
0: <laughs> in in, in block but i think that's what it was last time i checked it was a little while yeah. ago i i so i used to use blockfi and so the way, it was really fun like basically they got me in because they were promising like i don't know like seven indeed seven or eight percent on your uh bitcoin and eth and so i sent a bit over um never send all of your you know crypto to one platform because that's like today we see why that's a bad idea um because they were promising that and so essentially like i started up and they have different tiers and so like if you up to like 0.1 bitcoin you get like seven or eight percent but the moment you have more than than let's say one bitcoin you only get like one percent or something so it goes down quite rapidly like i'm there chilling for a month like i'm happy um and then suddenly it's like oh we're having rewards boom and then, you know, a few months later, oh, we're having rewards again, which is, I guess, a good thing, right? Because it, it helps them survive. Um, and then you had Celestia, which was like, oh, we're giving you 20% on your on your US USD. Um, and they were just, and, uh, no, sorry, they were giving 15%. And, and then, um, so what were, they were doing, I believe they were taking the USD, turning it into USDT, putting it on Anchor, uh, which was on the, the, the Terra network. Um, and then, yeah, we all know what happened there. And then, yeah, that everyone got into trouble. So essentially, there's no way to make free money the only i guess safe way for this to work is there's a few native staking mechanisms for example ethereum proof of stake staking you can get i think between what is it like six and twelve and percent or something like a pretty decent yields by staking in proof of stake and so the only way that that stops working is if ethereum collapses completely and so you can be fairly like th- that's for me um, i guess the main use case for platforms like this it is for um like the, the the less sophisticated technically sophisticated people that could just like i'm i'm i've got a ETH. like i would stake it if i knew how to set up a node and do all that shit myself so I'll, I'll i'll just use like a third party for that and and they can take like a percent or two on on um on whatever i make with with my ETH. i think that that's the one that makes sense um but apparently a lot of them were were you know being more adventurous in, in how they used the assets that were given to them um and that's why they're in trouble
1: Yeah. I mean, with all these things, when it comes to stuff like yields and all this other like free money kind of stuff, like at the end of the day, like you have to look at the amount they're giving you and the value you're providing and make sure those two things match. Because mm. if they don't, then, then something else is going on, right? Like a lot of people were promising like high yields that were mostly a user acquisition play and not realistic to the value that you were providing in exchange for that yield. And so that's what it comes down to is like, because I mean, banks are kind of doing the same thing. A lot of times banks are also kind of uh, Taking your money and then loaning out ten times what you're giving them, and like, and they have, but they, but there's the whole federal backing, right? But, but banks still have the same issue. Like we, we see, we're gonna see something probably similar to 2008, where a whole bunch of banks got absorbed into like the top five banks right after 2008. Like I was a Washington Mutual customer, and then all of a sudden I was a Chase customer, and I was like, God no, what happened? Like my bank that was super friendly and nice and awesome got bought by this giant, you know, monster because of that. And I think we're gonna see the same thing in this space um where and then yields will come down and stuff like that because the the ones that are actually doing more realistic stuff will actually be able to sit through the 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 storm and buy up all the people that were doing like and 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 the whole free lunch thing is like it's great when like it's a short-term play it's the long-term free lunch that just doesn't work out uh because you you never know when the music's gonna stop um and and i hate to see it happen to all these people. But at the same time, because I wasn't invested in a lot of this stuff, I'm kind of glad to see everything get shaken out so that, like, the good stuff can get built again and we can, like, get rid of all this uh, yield farming kind of madness where everyone's just, like, crypto craze money everywhere sort of thing and get back to building and and, and real stuff again. Just like after, the, you know, the last crypto winter where, like, we went back to real stuff again and then we got Axie and then a lot of people went kind of crazy again and got to go through these these kind of crazy manic phases, I guess.
2: Yeah, and I mean to mm-hmm. that point too. I think we saw a lot of what what I call capital momentum over the last year, um, and eventually projects do have to to answer to investors and to the private or eventually the public market on the value they're creating. And you know, a, a, a healthy markup isn't isn't worth anything if no one else down the road validates it. Um, it's just you know numbers on a piece of paper. Um, so so we'll see we'll see more of these, but eventually you have to create value to receive value, and. I think the, we're, we're starting to see the early examples of this where, you know, a four four $4.8 billion company in theory can come down very, very fast if uh, if it's not meeting its operational requirements.
0: It's insane. Well, and so what does this like general crypto winter means? Uh, before I continue that question, you, you were talking about this, uh, Devin uh, and you too, Phil, like it feels like crypto in general is just one giant game of musical chairs where, you know, it, especially in bull markets it's like you know everyone's doing cool stuff and then it's it's about like who can get out on the best possible time right um and if you get out then then you're good and then you know if 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 you're still dancing when the music stops then you're in trouble um anyway so i'm gonna continue my first question which is what does this mean for games companies um like do you think a lot of them will now like that got really bullish on crypto because you know prices were going up and everything was good and everyone was having fun, everyone was dancing, and they're now like holy crap, what what, what did we do? Why are we integrating these in our game? It makes everything so much harder and it seems like you know this might be going nowhere anyway.
1: I mean at the end of the day there's value in games period, right? Like games are valuable. Like they're they're a huge, huge, huge industry. Mm-hmm. And as long as you like really think things through and do things correctly i mean not every game's a winner right even the best made game just maybe doesn't land the marketing right or the timing right or Mm -hmm. doesn't it just turns out the audience is too small there's tons of risks in gaming but as an industry it's huge and like at at the end of the day i think everyone's just going to kind of have to take their best shot with what we know so far and it's going to be iterative and people are going to kind of figure it out i think obviously like we see models that like axie that that everyone thought were going to work out but then like if you really thought it through, you go, wait a minute. And I hope people now just pause and like, you know, still build out their games but really like, you know, pump the brakes a little in terms of like saying like, this is for sure the way to go and really look at like, okay, now that we've had a chance to shake things out, let's really think things through like w- w- the more sound fundamentals. And I think it's entirely possible then to make this a really successful thing. The problem is all the ones that are already in motion based off of Axie or Solana or what, like all the X to earn games. Like there's, there's so much that was already in motion and I, I hope they can pivot so that we don't end up with like these slow moving disasters heading into fall and stuff like that, because it's, it's entirely probable that everyone's just kind of like, well, we got our funding and we already kind of are going this direction. So iceberg ahead.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think when I think about the risks of this current market, I think the people that are building in web three, because they want to build in Web3 and create value through it, will continue to be here. I think a lot of people that maybe were doing it to put it on the pitch deck and raise it 3x valuation they could have gotten otherwise might might fade into the background. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and that's, that doesn't mean that every game needs to have people building on-chain, right? But it does mean that the people that do build on-chain should be wanting to build on-chain for the right reasons. Um, I think the, the biggest concern for me is... I think a lot of the, the, the pure amount of money that flowed into Web3 gaming attracted a lot of really great teams to give it a shot and experiment with it. And so when we talk about the future being Games First, I know Devin loves when, when people talk about game, the Games First mob. Um, but you know, there, there have been a lot of really impressive teams that have formed around this. And I do think there is a bit of a, a self-fulfilling feedback loop around more capital, better teams coming into the market and more capital, the more people that are gonna come in and the more people that come in, the higher the likelihood of, of things hitting um, just purely based on the law of large numbers. And so I don't want this current cycle to discourage really great game developers, some of which are already in the market from coming over and trying to build great games, um, with, with web three features integrated into them. So I, I do hope that it's not a disincentive for great games teams to enter this space. Cause I do think there's a lot mm-hmm. of good that can come from, you know, really impressive developers that have extensive game experience from using that background and creatively applying blockchain in their, in their titles.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully it'll just now mean extensive Web3 experience. That's what I'm hoping is that all this capital pumped in, even if the games don't work out, that we're building up human capital in, in terms of knowledge and experience and stuff like that. Because how do you even hire like a, a Web3 game developer right now? They just don't exist for the most part. And I'm hoping after all this winter, there will be a bunch that exist whether they were successful or not. Now you've got people with experience that have been in the trenches. Hopefully people that have come over from AAA game development as well or other like like normal game studios or mobile or whatever, come over with that experience and now the web three experience. And now, within when we kind of come back to building stuff fresh again, they can do it the right way because they've they've been through it. And I think that's that in itself is like a big investment, and uh, thankfully, one that didn't come out of my pocket, but uh, one that I hope pays off in a few years at least. On
2: that topic, Nico, I'd be curious to hear your experience in this as well from
1: from the VC seat.
2: Having now talked to hundreds of teams across Web3 Gaming over the course of a year and a half, it's been really interesting to see how fast the market does consolidate around ideas and trends, where it was almost like a constant narrative that I was getting. Even if I was talking to five different companies on a given day and then five different ones the next day, there was almost this narrative where people were catching on to what was and was not working really, really quickly. Uh, And so like Axie was blowing up and we we were part of that. So we talked to a lot of teams about Axie and everyone caught on to play to earn. And then the next stage was, oh, we need fiat on ramps because there aren't enough people that are willing to learn blockchain mechanics. And then it was games first. And then it was, let's find ways to use blockchain creatively. And it was no matter who you were talking to, everyone was catching on to the same themes at the same times. So like week over week, I just hear the same teams moving in the same direction. And so... Hopefully, to Devin's point, it does mean that the industry is carefully evaluating what's working, what's not, and, and pivoting, and it doesn't mean it's perfect today. It doesn't mean it'll be perfect tomorrow, but I don't know. Nico, did you have that experience as well? Kind of. Um, it feels like
0: the Web3 gaming industry is still smaller than we think or want, where you know all of them like kind of talk to each other, and so I agree. I feel like the narrative shifts go really fast and, and kind of together. Um, that being said, I still get pitch decks with play and earn, and, you know, if you come to me with a pitch deck with play and earn, I'm going to be very critical, and, um, yeah, and I'm also seeing still, like, move to earn and stuff around that, but those teams are usually not very strong, so it doesn't, it feels like there might they might be, like, like, I don't know, a separate team and not really into the echo chamber that we're all in, um, but, yeah, I agree, I think, um, you know, everyone's paying attention, right, because I think everyone is looking for some validation in whatever's happening, because, like building a game is hard building a blockchain game is even harder and so whatever knowledge you can take from others i feel like people are realizing that you know the more you know what not to do the better and so um i I agree it's uh it's very interesting and it feels like everyone's in like in one whatsapp group or so like probably a telegram group just saying like oh we pitched this and it didn't resonate well like maybe we should try this or something
1: um yeah so i agree um It reminds me of mobile games a lot, the way the mobile games will go in these big waves where, like, something's successful and then, like, everyone else will kind of copy it. Whether they were copying it because, like, they understood why it was successful or they're just copying, you know, to, to try and glom on to some of that success. But I think that's, that's helped the mobile industry move forward. Like, as they do, like, for example, Battle Passes are a great example of that, right? Where, like, everyone suddenly realized, like, the value of doing that and so they started getting integrated into, like, every game. And I don't think they're a bad thing. I think, in general, when implemented well, like, it's it's a good mechanic and so you see that like mobile went through that whole thing where like they were trying to figure out what to do we had this whole race to the bottom first that happened where everything crashed to 99 cents and that turned out to be not very sustainable because you couldn't live off of everyone just paying a dollar and then playing your game forever and then people like ea tried to do like the premium 10 game model and that didn't work out as great as they were hoping and so it wasn't until like microtransactions were, were, were solidly understood and how to like do that sort of thing and it reminds me of that idea of like the the the, you know the play to earn and the play and earn and like these these paradigm shifts where everyone's just kind of feeling it out and trying out and seeing what sticks and what doesn't and how long it sticks for and i think uh it's good to see that some people just don't care and and they're like as you you said doing creative things they're trying to just do their own like we don't care we're we're going to build what we think is interesting about web 3. like we're not just following you know whoever's like circulating the pitch decks in that WhatsApp group, right? Um, but I do still see like laggards uh, you know I'll, I'll still get consulting projects where like people are still using really old paradigms that are still kind of Ponzi-ish unintentionally not realizing they're like that just because they didn't get the memo. They weren't in that WhatsApp group. Right. And, hmm. and so you have that sort of lag behind where they were planning it for a while. And I keep getting these ones where it's like towards the end of the project. And I'm like, I'm going to have to pivot you really fast here before this just crashes. It's like trying to, trying to knock the car off the the road before it hits a wall. Like it's, it's it's tough and i think uh you know we don't have anything really solidly figured out yet we have we figured out what doesn't work to some extent but we haven't figured out everything that doesn't work so it's going to be i think a little bit of a bumpy road for a while um but i do hope that there's a lot of smart people out there like with enough faith in the industry to contribute their best efforts to helping us get there is is what i could and that's what we're here for right is to try and contribute towards that as well
0: Mm -hmm. as a as a last topic because i we initially said we're going to talk about soba which is a no code mobile game development platform ugc platform um so they raised 13.5 million was that it yep yeah um it's also a web3 platform interestingly so um yeah maybe like okay that that's the news we're not going to go deeper into that because i i wanted to touch upon something Devin mentioned and that is it feels like free to play is kind of solved. there's a playbook and, you know, as a free to play company, you can, you can you know, start a company and then you can get the playbook and say, like, okay, we have like these few number of directions we, we want to go. And, and, you know, we can slightly adjust there, 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 and there, um, are you guys, so do you guys think this will also be the case for, for like what we're talking about? Um, this new, like blockchain enabled web three gaming business model, do we think there's going to be a playbook in let's say 10 years or, um, does this necessitate more creativity or larger um, network effects where, you know, like certain companies will just have like, make way more money because the more people are coming in, the more like the better games get or the more fun or or just the the better things generally go.
1: I mean, it took it, it took less than a decade, I think for mobile, I, I And things only move faster, uh, assuming the world doesn't end up in World War III shambles. Um, I think it's pretty realistic to assume that that in less than a decade we'll have at least one dominant model. Um, I think you know, mobile has also like genres that sometimes skew a lot of stuff in different directions and so. And we kind of pin down certain genres, but the new, like we, we we are in an interesting place though. If you look at like mobile in terms of like the way we went from casual to like midcore to like slowly drawing towards hardcore, like maybe we'll have that in blockchain as well, where there's like, we, we figure out the playbook for like one level of like casual, and then we've got to figure out the playbook for mid core. And like, you know, we go through this sort of like evolutionary path. So like there's multiple playbooks, but they like, they work for a while for their given thing. That's probably where I think realistically, you know, in 10 years we'll end up in a similar place or maybe, maybe sooner if, if enough people are, if the crypto winter doesn't last too long, right?
2: Yeah, I mean I think to start, one of the most logical paths forward is basically applying blockchain and NFTs to the existing free-to-play model and how free-to-play games are monetized today with in-game asset purchases and cosmetics and the like. And that's probably gonna be the simplest form that is a viable starting point for a lot of, you know, more widely adopted games. And then I think hopefully over time we do find more creative playbooks that are formed. And I think that there's an opportunity for really smart game studios to come up with their own creative monetization and um, and create their own playbook that ends up getting widely adopted. But yeah, I think that there, there's so many different ways to approach this, but I think we'll potentially really quickly see blockchain almost follow the, the traditional free-to-play model, but give users more autonomy and more, more flexibility with their assets. And then from that, that'll be the baseline that people go their own own directions, and then over time, people will continue to uh, consolidate around a variety of different models that seem to be working. Interesting.
0: I actually don't think it will go that way, Phil. Um, But I feel like we can discuss about this for like a whole episode. To me, it feels like, um, and I might be totally wrong here, but it feels like um, if you're making like a traditional web 2 game, and you're giving players ownership, or the ability to earn, right? You're adding Web three on top, or or what is seen as the goal of Web three, which is, oh, you can make money of this, or you can sell after you exit the game. It feels like it's going to be very hard to make good games with, given that, because it, I think it invites value extraction from your game, um, yeah. and you know that's I f- that's always going to be abused. It it looks like to me, and so you know I, I just don't see it turning out that way. But I feel like this is a, an interesting discussion we can we can have at some point. No hundred percent, hundred percent, and. It, It's also part of the taxonomy that we want to do with Fogdown, which is like, okay, what kind of blockchain games do we have today? Um, So that's something we're working on. Um, Yeah. So, you know, if you listener are interested in in stuff like that and, you know, maybe think about it with a bunch of brains that we have in the Discord, feel free to join and and work with us on that, Um, you know, work with uh, Devin, Phil and me and the others. Um, Yeah, I think that that's it for this episode. It's been long enough. yeah, so if, if if this, you know, stuff interests you, feel free to join us. Um, and if you like this specific episode, if you thought that, you know, Devin and Phil gave some great insights. Um, if you think my tan needs more work, let us know. Um, if you're on YouTube, you can type it in the comments. Otherwise, you can, uh, you can always join us and just, just tell us how interesting our discussion was in, in our Discord. Um, yeah, I think with that, that's everything. Um. Still exciting stuff. I I do
1: have a game of the week this I, time. A game of I, the I week. I didn't uh, forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I I managed to make sure I remembered for uh, for this time, but I wanted to uh, to k- encourage people to play a game that is actually starting to get uh, some some traction lately, but uh, is a unique one that's been around for a while, um, which is Nine Chronicles. I think is a really interesting kind of space because it's not on any existing blockchain; it's its own blockchain, and everyone playing the game is also mining blocks. Um. So it's kind of that really decentralized, like where Bitcoin was, was, you know, trying to go for uh, that idea of like everyone participating in the network. So everyone playing the game is participating mm-hmm. in the network. And it was one that was like help funded by Ubisoft and stuff like that. And it's, it's an idle RPG sort of thing. So it's not necessarily always the most engaging game, but I do think it's pretty interesting. And they are trying to like do more creative stuff with their uh, economic model. And, uh, and you still can, like, get currency through, like, token swaps that, that can go to it. And I think it's worth checking out. It's free. Uh, you don't have to buy any NFTs or anything. So it's just called Nine, uh, spelled out N-I-N-E Chronicles. I recommend giving it giving it a check out just because it's a unique thing.
0: I like these types of games where, you know, it's more than just you own it, right? If, if there's any external utility being created by the players, I think that's a way to make play to earn or whatever or, um, new name for that sustainable. So that's interesting. I'm going to check that out for sure. I actually tried Splinterlands until the point that they asked me to pay 10 bucks for, what is it, like a, a pass or whatever? It's, it's
1: basically your starter pack and you can earn from yeah. that and all that stuff. Like that's that's the bare minimum you need to play the game. And it's, that's a pretty low entry point compared to like Axie and everything else. And I think it, it helps dissuade bots and stuff like that. So okay. I, I personally so, think that's worth it, but I can understand if you had some hesitation there.
0: Okay, so Devin just told me I'm I'm, I'm cheap and uh I should hey, be a, willing to invest more to learn more.
2: It's a bear market, Nico. Can't blame
0: yeah, that's you. That's true. Hey, I'm consolidating my ETH, you know? Hey, so I just
1: do. I just pointed out earlier you can get uh, booster packs now at basically half off if oh. you just buy some D E C man.
0: Oh. Yeah, but the on ramp is so bad, man. You know? I don't wanna mess around with PayPal? customer support. Pay the PayPal on ramp for uh, for, or... for the ten dollars. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. I'll um I have have to try Nine Chronicles now. Maybe I'll I'll ever like I'll get back to uh, Splinterlands. We'll see. All right, guys. um, Thanks so much, Devin Phil. This was great, listener. Thank you for listening. Um, Yeah, this was it. And let's speak again next week. Cheers.